Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. from today's sponsor. Hey everybody, Mr. Dave here. I'm going to tell you all about FuntimeWithMrDave.com. It's my new website where you can watch a show and learn about all the really cool stuff that we're going to be doing soon. So sit back, grab some popcorn, and check out www.FuntimeWithMrDave.com. Eh, not bad, but I do it better. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the newest book, which has come out from Wizards of the Coast. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we did our preview episode on the Candlekeep Mysteries and what we hoped would be in the book and what we thought uh, some of the press was saying about what they thought was going to be in the book. It is safe to say that all three of us were pretty excited about the content when reading the previews and what this book could be. So today we're going to go ahead and do a deeper dive into some of the content in the book. And I want to be uh, upfront and say that this will not be an episode that is full of many spoilers. And we're doing that on purpose because this is a book of mystery adventures. We don't want to ruin the mystery for anybody listening to the episode here. So even, and we'll get more into the, into the reason for this later, but the three of us have not read through all of the mysteries for very specific purposes. Uh, so instead, what we're going to talk about today mostly is going to be the first chapter of the book, which deals a lot with uh, with kind of the world that the Candlekeep Mysteries is taking place in. And then we're going to go ahead and uh, dive into the, the preparation write-up on the 17 mysteries. And we'll talk about them real briefly, things that we like, things that we don't like about those sorts of sets up. What we may be hoping to find inside that adventure when we actually crack it all the way over. Yeah, exactly. And kind of how our expectations about what we thought were going to be in the book and what we hoped would be in the book. How did they kind of come to fruition uh, within the pages themselves? So without further ado, Liwanika, why don't, you, why don't we go ahead and start? Let's, let's start with the first chapter, A Book of Books. Yeah, so I jumped right into this. And even before I got to the chapter, I just read The Table of Contents. I don't think I've ever picked up a book where the table of contents had me kind of jazzed. I was looking at the stat blocks I was going to come to and what they meant for my games, uh, the ones I run, the ones I'm going to play in uh, as well, and was just excited by that. And as I read things, I'm like, okay, I got it. I got a good feel for what this is about. And really that first that first chapter, just reading the quick little synopses of the adventures, what lay ahead, and then our plans 
Ooh, I got really excited. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for this. And then it was like, let's dig in. Let's find out what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I really liked, I appreciated a lot in this first chapter how they emphasized that while these mysteries are written within the bounds of the Candlekeep, capital T, capital C, that they really could be taken and run in any library, in any world that you're running any of the other Wizards of the Coast settings. I mean, they mentioned specifically Eberron. There are other places that you can drop these these missions in. And I really thought that was a great nod to the homebrewer storytellers out there that have their own campaign worlds and that they're looking to go ahead and add a, a level of mystery to them. Uh, and they really seemed to support that effort. Not only uh, adding for those of us who do homebrew and want to start doing mysteries, but they just add to, for those of us that have a library, look, great libraries of fantastic knowledge through the ages are a staple of fantasy, high and low fantasy. Game of Thrones, which is not a high fantasy world, had its version of this. Yeah, the Citadel, yeah. Yeah, almost every fantasy trope has some store and wealth of historical knowledge. Even our real world had the the great library of Alexandria. Warehouse 2 in Egypt. Warehouse 2 in Egypt. That was from Warehouse 13. Sorry. Yeah, from the show Warehouse 13. Stores of vast knowledge. The big warehouse that was depicted in in various scenes during the Indiana Jones franchise. These places are in... Which would have been Warehouse 13 if you think about it. Could have been. Uh, what a great way to switch that. Oh, man, there's a crossover event. I just looked something up in your head, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is how creativity is sparked by Glenn making a little side joke and all of a sudden Lee Wanika runs with it. Like that's- this is what happens when I get into an actual library, right? I know what I want to go for. I go to that section of the library. I go to that book and then I see the book next to it. Or I saw a book on a shelf that I walked past. And next thing you know, I'm sidetracked. And I've never walked into a library and walked out with just the thing I came for. My friend, you're currently being sidetracked about being sidetracked. Yes. I think that's kind of what this book brings to me. It makes me feel like I am in this library. Uh, and, and it makes me feel like I have the ability to bring my characters into this library. And I have the ability to bring a library like this to my players in my homebrew world. I had a library and it was very loosely defined. I now have the stuff I need to make it fully defined. Absolutely. Candlekeep does a lot. Just the concept before they put this book out, Candlekeep really took that fantasy world trope of a citadel or, you know, a giant fortress where knowledge is gathered, stored, protected, and treasured. Candlekeep really nailed nailed that, laid it out for D&D. And I really did enjoy this first chapter, too. Now, mind you, I do have to point out, though, that we are talking about a two-page chapter. Fair. Yeah. A two-page yeah. chapter. And this does contain pretty much all of the guidance for how to use the book in two pages. Um, so while I did very much appreciate what's in here, and I got to say, I really like the fact that they put in the Be a Sensitive Dungeon Master section, which I know is pretty controversial for some of you old cigar guys out there. But it starts talking about hard and soft lines in your opening conversations, and that's important. Yep. And a lot of people don't do it, but I'm really, I've really been learning how important that is lately uh, in a couple of games that I've played in with some people who had some pretty sensitive, legitimate like issues. They didn't want to come up in game and made total sense for them. So having a candid conversation with your players, they actually put that in there. I liked that. And reading the, the synopses, actually, I did decide like right off the bat before I got past page two, 
that it was going to have been worth buying just because in reading the synopses of the adventures and all it is is like a one-liner less than an elevator pitch that's set up on this little table in uh, the book of books just in reading those descriptions it had already sparked three or four ideas for things i could do in my own campaign so i do already know that uh, the book will have been worth it. I will say I'm a little bit disappointed in how thin the material is for how to prepare for the the adventures. What I was hoping for, because running a mystery is hard. So then putting together an entire book of mysteries, I was hoping it was going to have a chapter on how to run a mystery, suspenseful timing, you know, tips and tricks for dungeon masters to help them pull off the mystery vibe. And unfortunately, the book is lacking that. To be fair. They didn't teaser and say they were going to have it. That was just my hope. And that's my only that's my only disappointment in the book, by the way, is just the fact that this section's only two pages. I was going to say the same thing. We really hoped that that would be in the book. And we were taking that from what they did in Tasha's about how they talked a lot about storyteller tricks on how to do these things. We really hoped that hey, putting out Candlekeep Mysteries is a book full of mysteries. Mysteries are hard to run. Give us storytellers a way to do this. Look, to it to its credit or to its to its detriment I'm really I'm I'm really not sure does not touch that at all and I think that the reason is because if it had included that this book would have been 5 times as long as it is because running mysteries is hard but to be fair we haven't broken down each individual mystery yep. so for all I know contained in each one there's going to be small little dm toolkits about how to pull off a scene that's going to be beneficial so I may be preemptively bitching it may be worked into the individuals, but we didn't want to spoil it for ourselves or anybody else by fully revealing everything. And I'm right in line with the two of you. I saw this and I thought the same thing. The uh, bit about session zero, which is effectively what they're discussing, spot on. This is becoming more uh, of a thing in the cultural consciousness of gamers and tabletop gamers. And uh, we feel it's important. So I'm glad once again, to have support for what we're doing in the community, not just Tabletop Journeys, but so many other podcasts, so many other YouTube channels are doing this and talking about this now. It's nice to see official support. So this is the second book that has had official support for the importance of Session Zero and being conscious of the players and their needs and their lines. It's really that good. And I, and while it's small, like you said, it's a couple of pages. It's two pages at the beginning of this book. They're critically important two pages. And I like that. Oh, no, absolutely. The Everything on the pages is great. I just wish there was more. Yeah, I, I wanted more, too. I actually thought maybe I missed something when I read the table of contents. Maybe it's somewhere at the back. And, and I'm like, no, no, it goes from the last adventure to the end. Okay, so I didn't miss it. And I was a bit disappointed that if there's a letdown in it, it's just I wanted there to be more. But I'm going to choose to view that as it might be a partial letdown because I wanted more. But that just means the stuff that's going to be there is still going to be great. Because if I want more of what's there, then everything that's there should be good. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And I think that we talked about this in the fighter class breakdown that we did uh, just a couple of days ago we wonder whether or not they're getting ready to revisit the classes and subclasses that are in the player's handbook i wonder if with all these little bits that they're getting ready to go ahead and revisit the dungeon master's guide also i don't think that we necessarily want to have the is is dnd 6 in the works um because i think that there's still a lot of material there's a lot of fruit on the vine for dnd 5 but i think that what we're seeing is that they're starting to rethink some of the decisions that they made 
made early in the process of D&D 5 and determining whether or not they're actually uh, what they want the game to be and where they think the game should be going. If they redid the things we think need to be redone out of SCAG and added that to updated Player's Handbook and called it Player's Handbook Addendum uh, addendum, or Player's Handbook 5.5 or something like that, I would be very happy because I think there's a lot of good stuff within SCAG. I think it just needs to be helped along. And obviously, since so much of it has been reprinted, you don't need to re-reprint. But you could reprint the things that were not so good and just fix them and say, you know, Skag is no longer a book that's really that useful because it's missing these things and pump all of that info and intel into uh, a new player's handbook. So at least a new player's handbook has a reason to buy it. It will have new things. It won't be the same thing with commas fixed or what. Let's dive in. Let's dive into chapter two then and start talking about the largest of the two chapters. Like this is a 14 pages of background material on the Candlekeep uh, itself. Uh, I'm going to start with this one just because I flagged a bunch of different things in this chapter that I thought were really, really good. And again, we talk about it, how uh, we want to take the stuff that's in this book and then modify it to the game worlds that were in there. Some of the things that I thought were were excellent were the part about uh, defenses and decorum and kind of the the way the the um the engineering that went into building the candlekeep not only the things that the people who built candlekeep thought about but also in really really humorous ways uh in kind of that sick humor sort of way the 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 defects of candlekeep's defenses that the avowed are well that they 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 know about they well understand it and they just kind of like with a wink and a nod like oh yeah if you turn into a bird you can fly over and when it's not going to stop you whatever that's you know it, it really kind of it really kind of solidified for me like the things that they're worried about and the things that they're not worried about you know what are they worried about they're worried about people breaking through the emerald door what are they not worried about birds flying over the wall and go ahead and get into the opening courtyard See, and I read that more as they were acknowledging that that was a hole because of the nature of trying to block all nature, like birds and stuff. It was a hole they couldn't plug easily. So they were, they were just like, God, I hope nobody figures it out. I hope nobody figures it out. I hope nobody figures it out. <laughs> well, I, I also think there's a little bit of uh, meta to that decision as well. How many of us as storytellers have said, oh, I'm going to design this thing and I'm going to make it impenetrable? Exactly. Yeah. There is zero adventure in an impenetrable fortress. There has to be that opening, even if it's the size of a womp rat that I used to shoot on Tatooine, there has to be a way to bring the giant down. And later on, you can retcon and find a cool way to make it like this is why they missed it. But the fact is, is that if you don't have these things, these ways for things to be to go wrong or awry, you will lose every one of your players because the suspension of disbelief is based on the fact that there has to be a little bit of reality. And the reality is nothing is perfect. No defense is perfect. No defense is foolproof. There's got to be a way so that if a player wants to do something and they want their agency, a DM can't say, no, they plan for that. Nope, on page three, they plan for that. There's got to be ways around it. And I think that's a bit of a meta. I think it's let's design some flaws. Because some of the things you're talking about would have been easy to fix, right? I don't think they would be. The way that I read it and like thinking about the concepts that they're saying, I think that they were hard to fix. I think that as opposed to being meta, they were deliberately thinking out, okay, we know someone's going to look for a way in. There has to be some. So let's come up with something plausible based on the defenses we designed. So I think it was like a well-written, deliberate, 
hold on the defense, but it's there because it would be difficult to stop every sparrow versus, you know, being able to block humanoids. Something else that we talked about in our Falcon and Winter Soldier episode, when we talked about moving from moving characters from tier to tier about how consequences of their actions in one tier benefit or uh, affect how they are perceived in the next tier kind of thing. And so that's the way that Candlekeep has plugged the hole is that the consequences for trying to break into the Candlekeep, they aren't physical. I mean, they can be physical. I mean, if you get five Archmages descending on you, that's going to be a real physical bad time. But they're really not, at the end of the day, they're not physical. What they are, they're social. If you try to break in and we catch you, you will be banned for life period full you, like your name goes on the list you 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 passed one bad check you can't pass another one because your name's on the list right by the right by the cashier and everybody sees it. and everybody sees it that's how they they structure the consequences like they say okay yeah you can be a bird you can fly over the wall turn into but god help you if you try to actually break through the emerald door because then then we will we will rain down upon you and and in ways that will permanently and irrevocably affect your ability to do what you want to do. Right. I guess the, the other thing that I flagged in kind of this introductory chapter um, was the bit, uh, and again, it's, it's almost a little bit, I don't want to call it throwaway lore, but it's just kind of a neat flavor characteristic of the building. And it was the bit about Miriam, the sentinel worm uh, that lives beneath the, the, the candle keep. I just thought that that was really neat. Like it was, it's that's the kind of stuff that I geek over like, crazy um yes the ancient spirit of a dragon bound forever in service to kendall keep roaming its catacombs right. and able to be called to its defense is that's that's awesome backstory and, and again yeah. and again with like a subtle wink and a nod that part of the reason why miriam is stuck there is that nobody knows how to undo the curse that she was yeah, they put under. they can't fix it so it's kind of like uh sorry like we've tried <laughs> and i like that too because that's kind of that's kind of built into the whole candle keeps concept in a in a tongue in cheek kind of way is all of these guys are so smart that they could probably figure out any of the problems that come up. But like a lot of smart people, I I just picture them as, you know, like super distracted, kind of out of touch with the reality, not connecting the same way, you know, like most like genius level people. So you got all these problems that spring up, but everybody's working on different things so they can't be fixed or the person who had the knowledge died 50 years ago. Nobody knows where he had those books because there are books and compartments and extra dimensional spaces all over the place exactly. within Candlekeep. They don't even know what's there. So the fact that it's like the most organized collection of knowledge in the world, but also a complete and total fiasco <laughs> in terms of organization and knowing where anything is. Yeah. It's hysterical. I, I mean, the Library of Candlekeep reminds me of the, the Labyrinth Library from the movie The Name of the Rose with Sean Connery, where he plays the Franciscan friar, right? Um, and, and he's got his little acolyte that goes with him, and his acolyte gets lost. It, like, that's what Candlekeep reminds me of. It's like, right. it's got, it's, it's, you're, you're walking through an M.C. Escher painting with staircases that go in multiple directions and defy gravity. You talk about the little extra dimensional spaces that, you know, that little extra dimensional space, there is no time in extra dimensional space. And so when the wizard 500 years ago created that little pocket realm that he stuffed his, his journal in, you know, and then died, well, the pocket realm's still there. It's just waiting for him to come back and open it because that's the way dimensional portals are. Or somebody work. else to figure yeah, out how. You know, and they don't even know that it's there. So, yeah. Uh, uh, so I thought that the flavor stuff in that first chapter was was so good. And it was really it was written kind of in that same spirit that we saw in Tasha's, too, where it is it's informative and it's well written 
And it's got that little tongue-in-cheek humor that when you're dealing with with wizards of great power, you know, they kind of have this conceit that, oh yeah, like I'm a wiz- I may be the greatest evoker on the face of the planet. I know nothing about illusionary magic. I zero. I, like, you know, right. it's, it's so it's like when you get to be that high level, you are so focused on your craft that it is hard for you to even on some level understand craft in a different discipline. You know, I I might have a doctorate, but it's not in nuclear physics, and so I'm not going to be able to help you with that. I actually looked at it in um kind of with a, another example in mind. I love the Big Bang theory, and I really thought of this collection of wizards like the main characters in 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 the big oh, bang totally, yeah. like there's a sheldon there's a uh, leonard there's a raj and there's a howard and it's like between the four of them they just can't figure out because of personal issues and other stuff going on how to fix this problem it's just like it's like brilliant minds you know they can do all the things but some days are just worried about where are we getting Thursday's dinner. Yeah. Oh, and and, he, and even just all, all the crap that they give Howard for only being an engineer, and he is the only one yeah. that ever actually gets to do anything because the other three are all theoretical, right? So he's he's the one that gets to go to Antarctica. He's the one that gets to go to space. He's the one because he's the engineer. He's the he's the one that can actually take you know that five tons of sheet metal and build something with it. Like they're just theoretical, you know. Yeah, I went to Eureka. Similar yeah, theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So. Uh, 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 speaking of other collections of great knowledge, Eureka would be another similar vein where it's just like, I love the concepts here. Research but, and experimentation got to go on in Candle Keep too. You know, they do. Yeah. Somebody's office or another is blowing up every other day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Oh, could, could we get a Will Wheaton character in Candle Keep? Because like he was in Eureka often. I think Will Wheaton would be awesome. You mean, you mean Big Bang Theory? Well, he was in Big Bang Theory and he was in Eureka. Was in Eureka? Yeah, he he had a, he was a recurring character in Eureka as well. Why do I not remember that? Ah, <laughs> oh. well, the upside of <laughs> because uh, you're not your as world, much of a Wesley Crusher fan as I am. The upside of running your own world is you get to uh, make anybody you want in your candle keep. Yes, but yes. I will say that you called it wasted lore, and I don't like the word wasted because that's kind of like the concept of my backstory is not important. It is important. All of this is essential to bringing candle keep to life. That's fair, right? That's fair, but. And this is this is my caveat, but I like the concept and it's useful when you need it occasionally for a plot nudge. But in terms of center for adventure, unless you have a party of intellectual research types, Candlekeep ain't the place for you, right? So this is Candlekeep is not a campaign environment or setting that I would use for live play often beyond like cursory stuff, because unless you're all smart dudes, you ain't getting past the door anyway. What fun is it to role play your fighter dominated party needs this information. So they spend three weeks staying in the end outside of the place where, you know, the questioners are allowed to to stay and then wait for their guides to bring back books for their research. There's just not a lot going on. And that's kind of my biggest issue with Candlekeep in general. I was thinking about not, but I got to throw it out there. Even though I like the Forgotten Realms clerical quintet, which is where I was first introduced to Candlekeep. I just struggle with the concept. Kind of like Warehouse 13 or Eureka. They're not unaffiliated and just standing in the middle of the wilderness on their own. Because how do you build something like Candlekeep from the ground up that's not part of another kingdom, you know, just randomly on this peninsula in the woods? 
And that's always been a little bit of a struggle for uh, the suspension of disbelief for me. I can see it being functional now because they make a lot of money on the knowledge that they sell. But when it started out, there's no other form of commerce. There's no other city built around it. It just seems really hard to believe to me that this giant keep devoted, devoted to nothing but knowledge with no other economy built into it could have come into existence myself personally and i know that's that might be a little bit reaching that's like all the way back into forgotten realms lore but i've always kind of felt that about candle keep that sounds like something that we want to that we should uh, throw out to our listeners to discuss is how it must be mentioned in some lore kind of what the origin of candle keep was somewhere and i'm sure i'm sure that it's out there but so wait, we'd be interested to kind of hear nope <laughs> <laughs> you bring up a great point and we're actually going to get to that uh in uh Sometime in the near future, when we discuss the third pillar exploration, we're going to talk about how you build cities and when people explore cities, how to put in the history of the city, what makes sense, why cities are near rivers or near or ports near big bays that are protected versus on rough shores, why the map and how the map gets made, that cartography becomes important to the story as a whole, because things have to make some kind of internal sense. Even if we're not talking about it, even if right. it doesn't play into the specific adventure, even if it's not scene one, four, five, or six, it's got to make some kind of internal logic or sense in order to make the decision to truly love it. It's what takes right. something from being, hey, that's pretty cool, to being, wow, that was so great. And thank it's you for resummarizing that. that. Because you summarized that much better than I said it. That's kind of what I'm actually bitching about. It's not Candlekeep itself. It's that in terms of the backstory for it, to take this setting in this book from cool to awesome for me, I needed a little bit more information in here that helped me understand how it came to be randomly on the end of this peninsula, a giant font of knowledge with no other economy built. For me to be able to have full engagement with it as a, as a setting i need to understand yeah, that because you because you you can't take it into your game without that background and you need the background right. you, so if they're not going to provide the background then you've either got to look up the background or you've got to create it it would have been nice if they get if you know if, to stay consistent if they'd said hey here's how you keep came to be and that lore may be out there somewhere in a previous edition that i've just never read yeah I, and i can tell you uh from personal experience when i read writers like stephen king tom clancy and George R. R. Martin, I give them a lot of crap tongue in cheek about the depth of their descriptions. But the specific point that Glenn brought up that I re-expressed is never lost on those three particular authors. They give you that. When you're talking about the history of a town in Maine that has all these weird things happening, Stephen King will take you back to Founders Day and the day the first guy came off of oh, came over the mountains and said, planted his flag and said, I'm making this place here. What's that weird thing over there? And that's how the history <laughs> of the town grew, right? <laughs> and that was a summarization of something that Stephen King would do, uh, you know. Yeah, over 500 pages. Yeah. yeah, Mr. King, that is not a slight in any way. That is me expressing great gratitude for the way you do your craft. To be fair, if you've ever tried to write a novel, if he wrote you 500 pages, then in order to craft that town, he probably has about 2,000 at home. Yeah, absolutely. If you've ever tried to write a novel, I have. I mean, there's a lot of information that never makes it on the page. Yeah, and so, like, with that as an understanding, there's an acknowledgement that there's more to the story, but there is, there is also, there also has to be an acknowledgement that we still need to get glimpses of that more. Yeah, really, all that they said was that 
all these missions take place in 1462 DR, and that's just what it is. Like that's you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to go with it on that. So let's dive into. We're not going to talk in depth about about the the missions that are in here. We're gonna. We're, I think all of us kind of had a couple of them that we wanted to talk about that interested us. Um, and just to just to say kind of what the format is. Again, there are seventeen missions in the book. They are written to be played from levels one through sixteen. There are two level four missions, which whatever, that's fine. Each mission is tailored to a particular level. So it makes playing it as a campaign interesting because basically, I mean, it, it would have to be a milestone campaign, right? You play you play mission one and then you level up to level two and then you play mission two, right? So, that, so that's all fine. I appreciate that. Uh, and particularly, I think some of my favorite content was in the upper level, the nine, ninth level plus campaigns that are in here or ninth level plus missions that are in here um i thought that they were some of the best one of the best ones in here but luanika i know in particular you said that you really enjoyed uh, uh mission number three um what is it about mission number three that that uh that struck your fancy i love the concept of a treasure map robert louis stevenson was one of my absolute favorite authors when i was a child and first becoming uh, uh more of an adult more of a preteen reader and the concept of kidnapped, the concept of Captain Hook, uh, all of those types of things, those great classics uh, are deeply in, ingrained and in, invested within my soul. Like, I love that thought. And so when I was reading, doing a quick scan, the very first thing that caught my eye was a treasure map. That's what I immediately looked to. And then I read it. And it's like, oh, it's in a book and it's remote. If you were teaching a class on how to hook people with a limited amount of words, put those three words in anything you say, have anybody say them. That makes a great commercial. That makes a great advertisement. That makes a great two page spread. That makes a great adventure. It hooked me because those words grabbed me and, and I didn't need to read much beyond that to know if that's the one I, I, I wanted to do uh, or the one I, I really uh, gravitated towards. Add to that. I think level three is where five E as a player starts to become interesting. Yep. Level one and two, even in the absolute best of the campaigns, you're really working through it to get to level three. You're doing it from a character perspective because unless you're playing one of the one or two classes that gets it slightly earlier, you are looking to get to your subclass. You're looking to get to, look, I've got enough hit points where I can survive in a, in a tussle. You're looking for it because now I'm starting to get some good abilities I've got bonuses that are just high enough where I've got just, I've got, I make as many as I miss, you know, you're far enough apart from the average person to be, to feel special on paper as well as in story content. So that's kind of my sweet spot to start adventuring in. So that's the other reason why I kind of look in that, in that area. I love adventures really between three and eight. Uh, when I spoke in a previous episode about Adventure League and I said, I really wish we had slow played uh, Adventure League. I don't think I wanted to slow play level one and two, but levels three through through seven. I wanted to slow play those. That's where the characters get interesting. Most character subclasses get two or three abilities at third level or, or, or in there. And then they get something really cool, whether it's a feat or a new ASI to really beef up something at level four. That's the spot where the game gets juicy. And so as a player, that's that's what I like. The storyteller, 
that's the part where I think it's the easiest to get people excited about their characters and dive in. And so that's kind of why I look to that area. There's one thing in particular that I loved about this mission, and that was how much it emphasized its portability. This is a mission that you can pick up and put anywhere. Anywhere, yep. yes. And with a lot of those, just to add on to that, a lot of these books, not all of them, because some of them are very specific to Candlekeep, but with a lot of them, you could pick them up and drop them, have your players run across it somewhere beside the library. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a library. You could find a book in a dungeon that sets up a clue that takes you through the mysteries if it's one that can be picked up from uh, Candlekeep. So it's very portable. That's my favorite thing about the book is that you could pick the, any of these up and put them most other places you could find a way to write them in. I did just want to follow up on what Lee was just saying about when when player the player experience really does take off around level three. And he's not wrong. And I know he agrees with me, uh, but it sounded very much like level three is the place to start. Uh, but I wanted to just give the other part of it, the other side that I know he also agrees with me as a, on as a storyteller, that that doesn't mean we discount levels one and two at all, because while you don't have all of your abilities and while you may not be you may not have all of your coolness factor sweating out those early couple of levels, not in a slow play style, but just in general, that's part of your origin story. So if you want to be in a campaign that makes it that goes further Ideally, everything you can do that helps bond your party together and get everybody going in the same direction is what helps you have that campaign that carries on into the high levels, too. So level one and two, while they might be a little scary, and I think that's part of the reason players don't like it, too, because you can get dropped with one hit. They're also part of creating that little bit of story that binds everyone together from that com that combat where, you know, Lars, the paladin went down and. The thief had to save him, you know, and those stories will still come out at your table, even sessions later. So the first the first adventure, the, those first couple of levels, don't discount them, folks. Keep those in there. And Lee didn't mean to say that by any means, but thank you for picking up the torch. I may have faltered it a little bit. Um, that's why we're a team, right? Because Glenn and Josh both have the ability to read my unspoken thoughts and, <laughs> and, and frequently will drop them out there when I leave them out there and forget it. I, I and I, I want to say I take it as a given that I don't ever want to discount level one. I like to start most campaigns at level one because of the exact same things that Glenn mentioned. But as far as the adventure that grabs me, it's that I look at levels one and two as prequel or intro right before the climax where the plot takes off intro and that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I by no means discount that. And I am very excited about level one play with mysteries. I'm very excited about that. So don't discount level one and two. They, they are critical. And I'm going to be honest, that first level adventure, the joy of extra dimensional spaces, that was the first one that really like raised my eyebrow. That sounded fun. That's what turned me on to that like wonky, you know, Eureka backside, hidden side of Candlekeep. Uh, because that first adventure it's it's all about finding an extra dimensional space that nobody's been able to get into forever. And then it all progresses from there. Yeah, almost like we were just talking about with the Archmages, if you, you know, how they've stashed their journal into some extra dimensional space and nobody can figure out how to get in there. So boom, your first mission is we found an extra dimensional space and nobody knows how to get in there. So I'll say the first one that really drew my attention uh, was the one for level five. And that was uh, the name of the mission is uh, The Price of Beauty. I just real simple comments though. I loved the, the allusions to 
stories outside of the D and D mythos, right? It's a it is a it's a pretty clear allusion to the stories of Sleeping Beauty or uh, or Snow White. It's it's very much fairy tale inspired, right? And I I don't think that it makes any uh, any bones about that. I think that the allusions are right out there uh, in the front. I really liked kind of how it was dipping into other lore other than kind of the straight up D&D lore uh, to go ahead and, and craft this story. I'm really interested to go ahead and see where that one goes. And it's got a covenant of hags, which, you know, if anybody has been listening to Tabletop Journeys for any amount of time, the three of us have mad love for hags, even though they're disgusting. No, I'm get, I'm I'm going further down the hag rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. I'm developing like an entire underworld yeah, around it yeah. behind Grand Grand. Yeah. I'm telling you, it, it, it's really weird. Glenn has started like picking off his own to- his own toenails on. It's re- you guys are glad he's not on video. I'm just gonna tell you that. It's... Um, yeah. Sometimes I need my teeth to get them loose. <laughs> Glenn, what's one of the missions that really stood out to you uh, as far as being interesting? So. I did mention briefly the joy of extra dimensional spaces. That's the level one one, which does sound like a great time. And the little bit that I read about it is pretty intriguing. I'm not going to stay focused on it. I'll move on to another one in a second. But just because I missed missed finishing the uh, little bit about it. Apparently in this one, just based on its initial teaser, finding your way into the dimensional space is only the beginning. You're actually looking for somebody who's missing. And it's because once you get into it, you can't get back out. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see how that plays out to figure out how you get out of it. So I do think that that one would be a lot of fun to play. But in terms of other ones that stood out, I really liked a lot of them, I'm going to be honest. The Book of Cylinders sounded cool because oh. it's basically a book that's like a suitcase. Absolutely agree. Full of cylinders with runes on them, but when you roll them out onto like wet clay, that's where you get their actual the message behind them. Though I will say that while I, it sounded really cool when I first read the blurb, I don't know how it's going to final resolve because there was no contact contract breach or anything. I was reading an article where about the for an interview that the author of this book, this particular adventure gave regarding how heavily his adventure was drastically edited, cut and altered, etc. without his knowledge to the yeah. point that they allowed him to do an interview on it for stuff they'd already cut and they just didn't tell him. And he was yeah. really unhappy about it. Um, so in terms of an artist, the artist was not happy with the way Wizards of the Coast handled it, which makes me really intrigued to read the original version. But it still sounds wicked cool the way that it's set up and it leads you to like a whole another society. And it's it's it yeah. sounds like it's pretty cool. Yeah. So that was an interesting uh, an interesting bit of fallout to come from this game. And I know that we the three of us kind of talked about it a little bit sort of just in, in chatting back and forth. So I'm of two minds about that. Right. As an artist. I absolutely understand where Mr. Barber is coming from in being a little pissed off at the way that it was handled. Um, And I think that especially um, it sounds like it was handled poorly in that he did not know the scope of the edits. And to his own credit, he says there was no breach of contract or anything. They didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. He just really wasn't happy with the way that the relationship worked. He wasn't happy with... Because a relation, a business relationship is a two-way street, and he wasn't happy with the way it came out. Yep, um, and I think that's that's the end of it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that it was a communications issue. I think as long as you've got one party who says no rules were broken, there's no breach of contract. It's just I didn't like the way it went down. Right. Then that tells me that whatever happened could have and maybe should have happened, but it wasn't communicated well. And 
at the end of the day, while that is intriguing and interesting, and we may never see that original version in one way or another. I can almost guarantee we won't, yeah. Of course yeah, we won't. the reality is it's more like interesting conversation pieces for podcasts like ourselves, uh, more than it's a problem for the game as a whole. And, and as an artist and a content creator, you know, read your contracts, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. But when you're working with another established brand, also keep in mind that they got to make sure it works with what they're doing, their image and where they want their world to go. So, you know, that's where a lot of the edits may have come from as well. I've had, I've had my work edited as it goes to other mediums. Like if I'm working for somebody else, it's not something like we're doing here where we are creating together, where I am helping one of three hands on the tiller. You know, that's different than if someone says, Limonika, I would like you to write this piece or stat this thing, and then I will use it. When I am in that type of contract, I am providing a volume of work. And then that volume of work in whole or in part can be done with what they wish, unless I have specifically contracted that it cannot. And if I specifically contract that it cannot, what I am also saying is if they don't like it the way I did it, they can hand it back and I don't have a job. The next one that kind of drew my attention was the eighth level quest called the lore of LaRue and the concept of the lore of the of LaRue is basically this ancient book that was um, uh, written at the behest of a lesser deity. Um, and the reason why I flagged it more for anything else was because something that we did mention earlier in uh, in, in our in our preview episode was how did we think realms of the Fae were going to factor into this book because they were such a heavy presence in Tasha's. We wondered how they were going to be featured here, and this is this is not the first one uh, in the book that featured uh, featured the Fey realms, but it clearly showed to me that nope, the they are continuing to to sprinkle Fey content into 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 all these books. We saw it in Tasha's. We are we are now seeing it in Candlekeep. We saw it with the with the the latest Unearthed Arcana talking about races uh of the Feywild. So clearly the Fey are here to stay uh and they're gonna continue going back to that well um and kind of sprinkling it through uh the books that come up. Right. And perhaps we'll get an actual like source book on it as they get further along in the development process. I'm hoping so. Or uh, yeah. I'm really hoping so is probably the shortest answer. I like that one a lot. I'm actually looking forward to it. And I am actually considering options with Fey creatures as far as or the new Fey rate, uh, lineages as far as characters to play. And so I'm thinking, you know, how cool would it be to play one of these Fey lineages in that setting um, or in that particular adventure? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what kind of character I'm going to be using. My next character will be, uh, but it, we're fast approaching me making that character. So within the next uh, couple of days or weeks, I will uh, days I will make a decision. Within the next couple of weeks, those of you listening to the sound of our voices will know the next character that I'm doing. Luanico, why don't you continue on? What other? Uh, let's go with another question that you found interesting uh, in the book here. So I actually stopped reading even the initial blurbs at uh, beyond uh, five. And I did that for a purpose. I was finding it harder and harder to resist the urge to dig in. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's tough. These these blurbs are really well written. And, and, and so let me preface this by saying to the audience, I am not a person who likes spoilers. 
I will, before a big film that I want to watch comes out, I will black out anything to do with that film. I won't watch, I will avoid television commercials. I won't even watch two minute trailers of films that I really, really want to see prior to the release of said film. I am only watching trailers now because we review them. So uh, that's just how I am. So it's hard for me to do this uh, and feel good about reading even these little blurbs. I really want to like, for that which I'm going to play, I want to just play. And I want to know very little about it beyond what would be talked about in a session zero type setting. So uh, with that in mind, I really stuck the information on page five, where it's just literally the one sentence bit, not even the elevator pitch, not even the beginning. But when I was looking at, I, I really liked uh, the ones we've talked about or, or some of the chief chief ones that I've been interested in. But I also like the idea of uh, the Shishemi's bedtime rhymes. I, I, I don't know why, but I have this sense or I have this hope, this wish that in order to solve the mystery, a bunch of players are going to sit around having to make rhymes. And that to me just sounds like so much fun. Like I'm picturing a two liter bottle of Diet Mountain Dew or chips and, and, and salsa, maybe some sweet snacks. Uh, I'm no longer doing pixie sticks like I used to as a, uh, as a, as a young buck, but basically just sitting around with a bunch of my friends uh, digitally, if, if need be, uh, and, and, and trying to come up with rhymes to solve some puzzle. And that just sounds to me like a rocking good time. I just love the thought that that could be what comes out of that. I don't know if it is or not. And it's probably something less than that, uh, but more than that all at the same time. But I'm really looking forward to how that plays out. That just sounds fun. All right, uh, Glenn, I've, I've got one more that I wanted to go ahead and talk about. Well, what, what have you got? Do you have any more that you want to talk about? I just had one more too, and that's what I was about to say. I saved the one that I liked the best for the last, but for me to go last, it doesn't have to be for you to go. I don't mean last, last. I just meant like the last one I was the going last, to pick. I, want, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder if we picked the same one. What, why don't you go ahead? Is it number twelve? No, it's not. Excellent. Okay. Fantastic. So I'll yeah. go ahead. Oh God, number right. twelve. Oh no, no. Okay. See, if any of you have listened to our fighter class episode, <laughs> you'll know. I like now. I understand why Glenn picked this one and why why I did not pick this one. So <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. It might be for different reasons than you think, because I didn't relate it to the fighter conversation in the slightest. And the, and when I first keyed on this one, this is when I read through the book the first time. I got a number of flashes of inspiration, which I mentioned, even just reading the first two pages as I read the the descriptions. But this one in particular, I probably spent the most time and had the most trouble reading on about because it's not just the book but it's the way that the adventure let me just let me just talk to you about it a little bit okay so the level 12 adventure is called the book of inner alchemy and the the one line teaser on page two it says a search for the missing pages of a book puts adventurers in conflict with the monks of the immortal lotus right which sounded interesting anyway just because i keyed in on the concept of heck you could do that with just about anything have it be an essential volume the party finally finds it. Pages are missing. Right? Say there's clues to find the pages. I could build an entire tier of a campaign out of that if I wanted to. Um, but then when I read the description of the book even more, I was like, oh, God, this could be like so much fun just to put into my own world and think about how different societies may, may be after this book. But in the end, without spoiling anything in the adventure, this is just in the opening description, first two paragraphs when you flip to the page. The Book of Inner Alchemy details the... Uh, combined knowledge of three monks, brothers, uh, masters of the open hand, 
who combine their knowledge and techniques into tools for achieving everlasting life through meditation and monk-like habits. So true immortality, not just the body stops aging, but you still die when you're 95. But pages are missing. And some of those pages are held by like temples, like the Immortal Lotus, that this is like a prized religious work for them. Without going into the conflict that you'd have to go through to try to wrest something like that from an organization like that, especially if it's not an evil organization, because I really kind of like throwing the parties that kind of a great moral gray curveball. You can't just whack all these guys and take it. You got to figure it out. That that adventure just smacks of fun, flavory conflict and role-playing encounters and mystery and tracking if some of the pages are the, the locations are unknown. And that one is probably the one that lit up my imagination the most. I, I am not surprised by that at all. Knowing, knowing, knowing Glenn, uh, the way that I, that I know him, uh, that actually, that makes total sense. The one that caught my attention, any guesses? I know, I know, I know Lee, you, you didn't, uh, you, you didn't read them all. Uh, Glenn, I, I, do you have any guesses about the one that, that, uh, that I really want to talk about most? The uh, candle keep deconstruction. Uh, no, I did flag that one. I think it looks interesting, but that wasn't my number one. Oh, what's your number one? My number one is the level 13 quest, the Canopic Being. Okay, so obviously being being the one who was the resident goth from the age of 12 to 21. Yeah, I can see that being your yeah, choice now I that I've just you, glanced like, at it again. The, the, the whole concept behind the Canopic uh, be, between the, the uh, behind the book that is the centerpiece of the canopic being I'll, I'll, just a little bit from that opening paragraph the book is the record of a ritual that allows the transplanting of a mummy lord's organs into living vessels to forge a dark connection between donor and recipient the end of the book contains a list of those recipients which includes the name of all the characters in the party okay that's a good time I did not read that far yeah, through that no one. no it was like I read that I was like yes yes that's the one that I want. That's it. That's my favorite. Absolutely. Like just, just Fair the whole enough. concept that that the that the characters in your quest might be constructs and not be themselves. Like I have no idea what actually happens in this quest. It took great restraint not to read it. Lee Winika, I am absolutely with you. I hate spoilers. And for the purpose of this show, I read I, I read these three uh, these three paragraphs and all these quests. And man, so many of them that I wanted to go ahead and read all the way through. So many of them I wanted to go ahead and learn more. And this one in particular, I want to know what the end of this mystery is. And I through sheer force of will have not done it but man this one sounds so good uh, i i can't wait so so for the audience i just want to sing the praises of my co-hosts my partners my good friends my partners in crime they are so much stronger than i i actually <laughs> knew for a fact a fact as i read the the opening blurb on the first two and then the third one that if i went any for much further than that I was going to fail. I may not have failed in that moment. I may not have failed in a couple of days since that, after that moment. But at some time between the time I picked up this hot commodity in my hand, when I stopped into my local game shop, the Citadel, and I picked that up and I smiled and chatted with the staff and got in my car and toddled off home. I sometime between then and the time we were recording this and later on when I get to play in this, in these modules, I can guarantee you I was going to have a moment of weakness. Not enough Mountain Dew. I'm a little too awake. It's a little too late at night. Who's really going to know? And that, that moment was going to happen. And it probably would have happened by now for certain. 
You should tout yourself for your own willpower then as well, Why, my friend. Wise is the man who knows his own limits. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But since you just alluded to it again, and we've uh, teased it a couple of times, we're at like an hour now yeah. for this so far, plus cuts. Why don't we talk to him about what we're really kind of excited about oh, and yeah. why we really didn't want to spoil any of these adventures. Really? Oh, can I? Can I? Can I go first? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Luminica. So yep, go ahead. to everybody out there. But I want to. We all want to. Okay, go ahead. But I, I'm going to cheat. <laughs> I'm going to jump in because we have talked for a long time. A lot of our blurbs, a lot of the things we've talked about have talked about additional content that's coming down the pipeline. It's Glenn's tagline, and he loves it, and I think he says it perfectly. Guess what? The pipeline's here, ladies and gentlemen. We are about to start our very own actual play. We're going to be we are going to be recording with our patrons, and we are going to uh, do a great job. Josh has graciously offered. Yeah. Uh, jump to the front of the line to be the first storyteller for uh, our first adventure, and we are going to be doing actual play through the Adventures of Candlekeep uh, Mysteries, starting with the level one adventure. We're definitely doing level one. We haven't decided exactly where we're going from there yet because we're testing the waters, but I guarantee we're going to do more than at least more than one. I'm ho- I'm hoping we get to at least at, at, at least three, but yeah, we're going to see where it goes. We're going to see what the audience engagement is, what the audience likes about it. And, uh, you know, this concept of us doing actual play is going to involve our patrons uh, as, uh, uh, first. Uh, they've been supporting the show, so we want to make sure we've got a game put together for them. Uh, it's going to give us the opportunity to showcase our storytelling skills and our role-playing skills. So it's not just Josh storytelling for the patrons. Glenn and I are going to play in that first, uh, in that first session as well. So what I'm going to be doing over the next couple of days is figuring out what character I want to build for that first adventure. Um, we have our session zero planned to be recorded the day after we record this episode. And uh, that's where I'm going to figure out what I'm going to be playing. Uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, we will definitely make sure uh, we are posting, blogging, tweet, tweeting, uh, and, and Facebooking, all of those uh, juicy details that are fit for print. But I am so very excited that I get to play because we talk a lot about the different stuff and it has been almost two years since I've sat at a table where Glenn has DM'd for me, uh, story, been a storyteller for me. You and I haven't been players at the same table since Marty DM'd for us back when we were yeah, teenagers. Yeah. We, Glenn and I are just started, like we've done only one session where we've both been players in the same, same game just last month. Our second game is coming right up, uh, where we get to sit. Yeah. Virtually sit side by side, you know, and Josh, Josh and I have played, uh, but not recently side by side. Uh, we've played in the same ca- campaign world, yep. but not in the same game sessions. Yeah. And uh, so, and Josh has never story told for me, at least not at a tabletop game. He has done so in a LARP, but never. So I am so excited for this. Yeah, that's, that's part too. of the reason why this is abjectly terrifying for me, but in the absolute best possible way, because um, you're absolutely right. 
Lee Winnicott, you and I have never thrown Clackety Math Rocks together. Uh, uh, we've, we've played in games together, but I've never story told for you, so I'm very excited about that. Glenn, I've played at your table. You've never played at mine. Looking forward to that. Um, and man, I, it is going to be such mm-hmm. a pleasure. Yep. Can't wait. So for those of us that are listening and want to get in on this action, well, this, this is a benefit that we're opening up to our Patreon subscribers. So if that's something that you're interested in, by all means, hit us up there. You can do that for as little as $1 a month to go ahead and get in on the invite list uh, for other games as we're, as we're going forward. And that's at patreon.com slash tabletop journeys. And so we would love for you to go ahead and uh, and get on that list and join us in this fun. This is this is the first one that we're doing is the first mission out of the Candlekeep missions, uh, but it's definitely not going to be the last. We have a bunch of other things that we're already talking about, but we uh, with with this book coming out and how great uh, how excited we are about these missions, this is where we wanted to go ahead and start. So so we and if you can't tell, we are all really really excited about this. That's a uh, and so we, we hope we think it's going to be a, be a good time uh, and uh, and we hope you guys enjoy it too so yeah and what so what you're gonna get for this first one because we have already closed the group on that one so we did just pitch the concept that it'll go to patreons first but just so you're aware if you really like the idea and you go to try to get in on our first game we do already have the players selected for that game as lee mentioned earlier our session zero is tomorrow in fact by the time this episode comes out we'll have already recorded the first actual play so but we will always when we do an actual play session pitch to our patreons first they have right of first refusal so if we have but if we have six patreons and three of them can't play this month then that may be an opportunity for spots to be open for other folks or we get some more patreons then it might become a hey you were in the last one a little bit of a rotation thing we'll work it out but sign up become a patron and come play with us because we want to play with you we want to play with you exactly right so all right uh any final words uh heading out of our candle keep uh episode uh you want to go ahead and start yeah, I just uh, want to say I am very excited about actual play. It is not; it is something I've been doing in another game for a little while. I'm looking forward to doing it with Tabletop Journeys. I'm looking forward to doing it with our Patreons. Uh, so very excited to sit at a table virtual with all of all of you. Cannot wait for that to happen. I am also very excited that it is Candlekeep Mysteries because it'll be focused on the mysteries. It'll be focused on what's going on and what's happening, I think that'll be a great segue into what we like to do, which is put the RP first. I totally agree. Uh, I think that this will be uh, a really nice way to digest these mysteries so that we can figure out how portable they really are. I mean, that's one thing that the book said that these, these, these mysteries are portable. So we're, uh, I think we're going to, we're going to put that through its paces and see how that actually works out. If you listen to our actual play episode, though, be warned that we'll have full spoilers, obviously, for the first adventure and any of the other ones that we do from Candlekeep. So if you're about to play one with your own DM, you might want to let him listen for ideas, but you back off until after you've played that yeah, one. Absolutely. We will definitely have spoiler warnings uh, whenever we can or we think that we try not to spring any surprises on folks. Hey, one of the things I'm most excited about about the actual play is actually being able to play the full version of the introduction music uh, that we introduced uh, a couple of months ago. So that'll, that'll be uh, one of my favorite parts. Yes. Right? Exactly. You're going to play it in the background throughout the game? No, just as the opening of the, of the episode. But that's a whole separate whole separate topic. <laughs> uh Thank you, everybody, for listening to this uh, this somewhat rambling and full of tangential uh, episode on the Candlekeep Mysteries. Ooh, tangential. Right? Good word. Good, that's a 25-cent word right there. I'll give you fitty. <laughs> he gets fitty, fitty, but actually, Canopic Being was one of my guesses for you, Josh, simply because of the alliter- yeah. alliteration of oh, the yeah. word. There's no alliteration in Canopic Being. 
Yeah, it's not one hard. begins with C and one begins with B. Yes, but it sounds Word. nice rolling off the tongue. Specifically, <laughs> specifically yours. Okay. That's not alliteration. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Thank you, everybody, for listening. instead, maybe? Uh, <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. Justification? I am trying to end the episode. Will you guys please cooperate? <laughs> Y'all have a good day. Thank you. We'll see you at the keep. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.